0: Hey, this is Bryce. I'm Ella, and today we are going to be talking about something a little different. I know we usually been talking about a lot of war history and a lot of World War One, World War Two, uh, but today we are going to be talking about something a little closer to home for me, as this is what I do for a living. Uh, we're going to be talking about refrigeration, and not really what I do, but we're going to talk about more of the history of it and
1: how, how it came.
0: To be? Yeah, how oh, okay. how it became what it is today. Cool. So the idea of keeping food. And drinks cold, not exactly a revolutionary thing. Started back in the ancient era, uh, ancient China, ancient Egypt, and India. Uh, the idea, though, that we think of when we think of refrigeration or uh, refrigerators, ice makers, and freezers, they in themselves aren't even that modern. I mean, in the whole scheme of things, yes, but in human history, they're very, very not very new. Um, what do you mean? We'll talk about that. Okay. But, uh, like I said, the idea of keeping food and beverages cold has been around since ancient China and ancient Egypt. Um, Ancient civilizations would harvest ice from rivers uh, during the winter and fill ice cellars, uh, which were just cellars that they would fill to the brim with ice. So, like freezers, but with ice? They they were, in a sense, no. Uh, They were literally underground cellars Mm -hmm. that were filled with ice so that they could take the ice out later during the summer. And that room stayed like a certain temperature because of all the ice, and it would stay. I mean, it, it it would is it perfect? But it was underground and uh, groundwater. So let's talk about groundwater. So what, when when you talk about groundwater, you're talking about water that comes from uh, the ground, either mm-hmm. whether it's your piped water or your um, well water. Usually comes out of the ground about sixty four degrees to sixty degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't ask for conversions. I'm I'm American. Um, but we use Fahrenheit. No, I prefer to use Kelvin, but that's even more it's, complicated. It's yeah. <laughs> so the, I'll go off topic a little bit. So Celsius is based off of water, or mm-hmm. no, Celsius is based off of the freezing point. Yeah, it should be off of water. Yeah. So Celsius is based off of water, zero being the freezing point of water, and a hundred being the boiling point of mm-hmm. water. Um, I'm not sure what Fahrenheit is, but I do know it is a lot easier to understand, uh, when you're talking about temperatures. Like if I tell someone, uh, oh, it's about like 70 degrees Fahrenheit, that makes more sense than me going to someone saying, ah, oh, it's 30 degrees Celsius. What the fuck is 30 degrees Celsius I would make? think that would be freaking cold. It's not that. No, I'm not talking about that. Uh, well, yes, for Americans and like the Yeah, but if someone was to say it's 36 degrees, I'd be like, that's freaking cold. Yes, but that's because They're from scale. the South, so. Yeah, well, that's true. But our, our scale of temperature is pretty much normal temperatures in the United States can range from the negative, like, tens all the way to, in the south, triple digits. The idea of having um, a very small scale that would only go from, like, zero, uh, like, negative probably 20 on the Celsius scale, I would say, not 100% sure on that one, but it wouldn't go very far. Negative. It would only go up a little bit on the uh, positive side. Um, So that's a lot harder for someone to actually gauge a good temperature. Whereas in Fahrenheit, it's a little bit easier for the everyday person to use. Mm -hmm. Uh, For scientists, Celsius is great. But Kelvin, Kelvin is the true scientific way to measure temperature. Because Kelvin is based off of absolute or true zero. True zero is the idea... I can't see my face right now. When my face is like what? So true zero, true freezing is when particles stop moving. Mm-hmm. We've never reached it. I, I I could probably look up real quickly. Really? We've never reached it. Um, Not even like where it's always in a cold. Like no, 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 no. We don't even get that temperature here in, on Earth at uh-huh. all. Like it doesn't even get close. That it's, it's a theoretical. I believe it was Einstein. Me, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I believe it was Einstein that came up with it, or someone else. But... Uh, Bryce is currently typing. Yeah, so sorry. If are typing, that's what's going on. <laughs> but... What was I saying? She has to get me back on track. What was I saying? You were talking about the true point of freezing, mm-hmm. Or like how it does. Obviously- yeah, so it was Einstein. Sorry. Uh, Bose Einstein... Uh, condensation is a theory. Uh, That was a theory. Um, But, either way, uh, the closest that we have reached to to absolute zero is about 150 nano Kelvin. Ask me what that means, I got no damn clue. (laughs) But, a little off topic, we were off, but that is, Kelvin is is based off the absolute zero point. Celsius is based off of water. Fahrenheit, I'm not actually sure what it's based off of. But I do know it's a lot easier to for weather to say it is this because you have more of a range. Okay. You're a little more precise in the temperatures, which with uh, Celsius, you don't need to be precise because you're talking about water. Mm-hmm. That's what it's based off. But then you get to Kelvin, and it's really precise. Uh, but back to the uh, what we're talking about. Uh, well, technically it's still what we were talking about. Technically but. it was, but back on to little sidebar. little sidebar, yeah. That might happen a lot. But Our brains. Uh, they would put them in the cellars, like I said, underground, mm-hmm. and easier to keep things colder underground because mm-hmm. the sun's not beating on it and hitting it. Mm-hmm. And then they would just take it out. As needed, yes. In ancient Egypt, in ancient India, they would actually take uh, clay jars and moisten the outside with... um. Yeah, I wasn't going to get a lot of those reactions from me saying that. (laughs) But uh, they would uh, moisten the outside of the jars to cool the water on the inside using the condensation theory. Mm -hmm. Not the one we talked about earlier with Boz and Einstein, but normal theory. Um, Persians were the first people to preserve food in their yakchals, which was an ice pit. Mm -hmm. Took me a while to learn how to pronounce that one. I could still be pronouncing it wrong. Uh, I have a Friend from Iran. I'll have to give him a call. He, uh, knows, he knows a lot of people from literally everywhere. This is how food would be kept cold for centuries. In the in the but in the nineteenth century, uh, Frederick Tudor would harvest i Started harvesting ice in New England uh, to ship to the southern states and the Caribbean islands. Though his first percentage of waste, a percentage of waste being how much of the ice turned into water on the trip down, would be about 66%. So he would lose 66% of his ice hmm. due to heat. Mm-hmm. He would then reduce that to only 8% loss in a couple of years by insulating his ships and soon his ice became a massive commodity in the southern markets. Because most, uh, I'm gonna be honest, ice doesn't, water doesn't freeze down here, like ever, in the South. Like, I can name, like, three times in my life that I've seen water freeze naturally Mm -hmm. in the South. Which was? When I was young, when it snowed. Or black ice? Would that be counted? I mean, yeah, but we don't get black ice often. Yeah. The only time you get it is the the weird, very weird times that you get, which I mean is normal here for it to be warm during the day and then super cold at night. Or, you know, we get every season in one possible, in one day. Yeah, but it's not enough. Yeah. So he would bring this ice up from New England where it freezes every winter and brings it down to the south where it doesn't. And it became a huge commodity. It's so cool though, like, how ice was such a Big mm-hmm. deal back yeah. then because how else are you gonna keep things yeah. preserved? Um, it's just so cool. Due to the dangers of harvesting ice, because you gotta imagine these weren't just like, oh, they get in a bunch of little ice cubes. No, these are giant blocks of ice that weighed a couple hundred, maybe even like two thousand pounds. So we wanna know what's going on in my brain right now. What? Have you seen the movie Frozen? Yes, exactly. In, in the beginning of the exactly. thing harvesting ice? Yes, is that what they did? Pretty much. Okay. And then they just had like big chunks of ice, yes. and they would sell it. Yeah. Okay. That's what's going on. in <laughs> So, obviously, people tried to figure out how to artificially cool things. William Cullen designed a small refrigerated machine, refrigerating machine, by creating a particle of vacuums with a pump over a canister of diethyl. Di- Ether, a byproduct of making ethanol. Uh, The ether boiled and absorbed the heat from the surrounding air. This resulted in a very small amount of ice. Uh, While uh, this is very similar to modern refrigeration, uh, how modern refrigeration does work in the basic sense is you take a compressor and you compress a gas, which we'll talk about the different types of gases or freons that were used and compress it to where it has a high pressure, and the higher the pressure, the higher the temperature, and that changes as you go to different elevations. Mm-hmm. So the higher pressure, higher higher the temperature. This would then go and absorb heat from air around it, typically across a coil with uh, fins. Modern modern day fins, modern day refrigeration. The air that will go across it would cool it. Also, lowering the pressure and lowering the temperature. That would then go around and go through a a uh, con- uh, metering device, whether it was a just a literally a tiny little tube, or a TXV, or my least favorite thing, an EXV, electronic. Yeah, it's an electronic version of the TXV because everything needs to be electronic. I had no idea what that is. So a TXV is a thermal expansion valve. EXV is an electronic expansion valve. It's a valve that meters and changes how much gas is allowed through. Mm. Okay. You have all these technical terms. Yes. I have no idea what they're called. But, so, that would then go to an evaporator, another coil, and that would take the hot air, and hot, there's always heat. No matter how cold something is, there's still heat. Yeah. Um, like, right now, outside is probably, like, what? 50, 60? Probably. But there is 50 60 degrees of weather outside, pretty cold for the south, but it'll get colder here in the next couple weeks. That 54. Oh, okay, that's not bad. But if I were to walk into a walking cooler, it's also raining, so make it cooler. if I were to walk into a walking cooler, a walk in freezer, and it's 32 degrees, that's what my refrigeration network keeps it as. It should be like 30, 34, Probably like 34 or something. Okay, because 32 is too close to freezing, you don't want to freeze and stuff. In a cooler. But you go into there and it's oh. cold as heck. You're like, man, there's, this is cold. Our freezer is kept at negative seven. There's still heat. It's There's still heat. There's always heat. heat. You can't get rid of heat. That's why the theory about absolute zero, we don't know if it's actually true or not. Because from what we know, there's always heat. Particles are still always moving. Because mm-hmm. the thing has to heat up yeah. to cool push it Right. What? like the thing has to be always running too and it's gonna get hot because it's always running no no okay. no no there's always heat period when you walk outside and you say it's cold as hell there's still heat oh yeah there's always going to be heat um uh, even at negative 20 negative 30 negative 40 negative 50 it's there's still heat it's a weird concept that took took me a while to actually wrap my head around but the idea is that the heat that is in that walking cooler so let's say walk into coolers are an example. Oh, going over the coil, the evaporator coil, that heat is then being absorbed into the cooler gas that came after the TXV or the expansion valve or whatever it was. The metering device goes over that coil and transfers with the colder cooler gas out and in the hotter gas or hotter air in cooling. But you have to have fans. If you don't have fans going on, you're going to freeze that stuff real quick. Um, so that's how it works in a sense. And this early device was really just that, except with less sophistication. It was an early, it was one of the first ones. So after that, uh, invention by William Cullen, uh, sorry, um, several others also continued to make advancements into this new technology, including Benjamin Franklin, John Hadley and Oliver Evans making uh, different types of closed compressed cycles, which is even closer to the modern day uh, refrigeration cycle. John Gorey uh, built a similar machine based off of compressed air. Uh, James Harrison enlarged the idea for meat packing and beer industries, making one of the first, or actually, I think the first, walk in refrigerator. Or at least the basic idea of it. I tried looking up and see if I could get pictures of it for the Instagram, but there were very crude drawings. So the first ever portrait was technically a walk in fridge? Yes, I believe so. I mean, the ones that were done by Benjamin Franklin and John Hadley and Oliver Evans could have been small, itty bitty little things that Mm -hmm. cooled things. Or they could have been ice makers. I I can. Yeah, kind of like a little cooler. Um, Soon, uh, Ferdinand Carey would introduce ammonia as a coolant. In 1859, this would not be a very this would be very popular, and they're very not popular uh, soon after, just because of the issues with ammonia being very poisonous. Yeah. Um, though this is still used in some industrial uh, refrigerators, or uh, I think they're called chillers. I don't know much about that, even though I am certified to work on them. Thanks EPA. I have <laughs> never touched one in my life. Where are they? Like. I don't know. I don't really know much about them. I just know that ammonia is, or has at least been used recently, maybe within the past couple of years, um, in re- industrial refrigeration. Okay. And I do know they were actually used in campers too, they huh. their little uh, propane-based um, refrigerators. Okay. Um, the 1920s. First of many synthetic coolants would be made. One of them being Freon. Though Freon would uh, really be a couple things. Freon was believed to be a cure all. So, Freon. So, then before this, we had things uh, like propane we were using as uh, coolant, and, and other things that were poisonous, or flammable, or slightly explosive, or very deadly. Different things. It was hard to find something, or corrosive, or they had a nasty odor, or they spewed a color. You know, and while you may think why well, it a color matter, if you got some kind of, like, red smoke coming out of your uh, refrigerator... I would run the other Yeah, exactly. Way. <laughs> so, if I see any kind of smoke coming anywhere where it's not supposed to be coming out of, I kind of freak out. Yeah, so these these uh, Freon were odorless. They were colorless. They were non-flammable. They were non-corrosive, non-poisonous. Um, and they were carbons, CFCs. Um, why are they like that? Chloral, floral, carbons. Chlorine, fluoride, and carbon. And I think some other chemicals are in there. I, I'm not a chemist. But, uh, they, they would also have, uh, some different types that would come out later. But these were the big ones. These were virtually non-harmful to anyone. And it was believed at the time that they could not harm the environment. And they did test them. They tested them pretty well. Uh, They tested them extensively, except for radiation heat, which we'll come Uh to later, which is uh, pretty important when you get out of the atmosphere. Which, funnily enough, that's where gas likes to go. Yes. Um, So, uh, we would get, we're at, yeah, so Freon was believed to be a cure all that's, in in all the ways, it solved a lot of issues that other coolants have. Thomas Midgley Jr., with the help from Charles Franklin Curdington, uh, invented this miracle compound. Freon re- uh, represented several different types of chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, freons, which were colorless, odorless, non-flammable, and non-corrosive. Due to the lower dangers, a freon issue became standard in all home kitchens, not just kitchens. These were used for uh, your hairsprays or uh as compressed gas for those kind of things, your perfumes and all that. They were used in a lot of things. Um, Thomas would then uh, demonstrate how safe this was by taking a huge lungful of this new compound and breathe it out on a candle, showing that it was non-toxic. So he breathed this in Uh and then blew it out. Yeah. I feel like that would eventually kill you. So... (laughs) So, like I said, uh, freon uh, was used in uh, cartridges, perfume, me- and medication, along with for re- refrigeration. Either that, or you'd get really loopy or high off of that due hatch. to lack like of oxygen. Yes. <laughs> now, here's the thing: some uh, some things like propane are heavier than air. Or keep cleaner. Uh, no, that has that's a different thing. Oh. That's different, but. Uh, Propane, because I, I break up propane because it was and now is very... It was a popular thing, then it wasn't because it's flammable, and now it's popular again, and uh, I don't like working on them. <laughs> They're terrifying. Even though they really are just like a couple ounces of propane. That's not a lot. It's just the... It is a scary thing to work on. It's fucking propane. Well, yeah, because that thing But it is really- just a little bit. Now, if you blow out the system and you're safe with it, you're fine. Nine times out of ten, you're fine. But a lot of these propane systems get a little off topic again. I'm sorry, but a lot of these propane systems have two, three, four compressors and four cycle different circuits. Mm-hmm. You cut into the wrong one, that's a full system of propane, mm-hmm. whereas not the one you're wanting to cut into. So it's very da- it can be dangerous if you don't pay attention, mm-hmm. which can go for a lot of things. But this is dealing with propane, but. Uh, There are a ton of different types of uh, freons out there, the CFCs, or uh, there's another type I'm kind of forgetting, but it has hydrogen in it instead of the fluoride, if I remember correctly. Um, R12, R22, R404, R410, many more. R22 and R12 were very popular back in the day, Mm -hmm. Uh, but those are both banned from production in the U.S. Actually, I think R12 is technically banned, period. I'm not 100% sure on that one. But I do know R-22 is banned in the United States and Europe. Though our recycled R-22 can still be purchased. Though it is expensive. Uh, pretty much anytime I go to a unit and they have an R-22, which is a lot of time in the more rural areas, um, where they have uh, older equipment. And I'll say, those R-22 systems, they, they're they like tanks. Mm-hmm. They, they'll go forever. But... Nowadays, when when they break, I mean, the cost of R22 is so expensive. It's not worth it. And the reason the EPA wants to get rid of R22 and R12 is because systems do can, at some point, just from corrosion from outdoor elements, Mm -hmm. corrode out the system and start little leaks. Yeah. Those little leaks get into the atmosphere, and we'll talk about um, why the EPA cares about that getting into the atmosphere in a little bit. Once you're all done, can I please ask a random question about something we already talked about? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, but this is around the time around this time we got to where the EPA was created and the Montreal uh, Protocol, uh, which was used to help protect the ozone layer and the environment. This is about the time that technicians who work on free on units began to have to be certified, though I believe a lot of the older guys who have been working on them where grandfather didn't. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean my teacher was telling me about before the EPA how they would take their Freon bottles, because Freon was so cheap back then, and just spray their beer with the Freon. Just because it would cool them down. And because everyone thought it was a cure-all. They didn't think there was any dangers to it. Didn't, weren't you trying to do that the other day with a water bottle you were oh, spraying the water no, bottle? No, that was with compressed air. Oh. That was not Freon. Well, I knew it wasn't Freon, but, like, you were trying to cool something with... Yeah, I was just showing you how liquid air can be yeah. very cold. Yeah. Which is something that most people don't think of. Like, dry, uh, like, liquid nitrogen? Shit's cold as fuck. Well, yeah. And dry ice. Yeah. But, um... Oh, that's why you have to wear gloves when you handle it, because it's yes. cold. You could freeze your fingers off. So there are uh, three types of... Certification and then your core. I am universally certified, so that means I have my core and all three. Mm-hmm. Um, to work in the business I work in, you only need type two and your core. Uh, having all three, oh yeah, I already talked about that. Uh, Freon has changed considerably due to the EPA and the Mon- uh, Montreal Protocol. And there's another another thing that I don't remember from school that my teacher taught told me, but I, it's been so it's been like two years. Uh, so considerably from R-12 and the, uh, to the R-400s, and now to R-290, like we talked about propane. While propane technically is a new thing coming back, it's, it was an old, old um, thing from the early 1900s. Uh, it was used until the CFCs came out and replaced it. Recently, due to its low global warming potential, or GWP, R290 was reintroduced and is being pushed by the EPA as their preferred refrigerant, though this is not their only one. Uh, global warming uh, potential is the potential frown has to heat up the atmosphere as compared to carbon. Carbon having one GWP. And um, we can talk about R290 having three GWP. So for every uh, one every one particle of R290, it will do three times more than carbon does to heat up the atmosphere. Now let's talk about something that's very common in your car, R134. Uh, This is very common in your car's AC. It has 1,430 GWP. It's 1,430 times more damaging to the environment than carbon. (laughs) This is why I also never understood this whole thing with, let's go green and get an electric car. Your car is not really doing that much damage to the environment as compared to other things. What is the most damaging thing to the environment? That. Uh, are we talking about human-made, or just in general? Well, okay, in general, it's probably uh, volcanoes. Whatever. So, volcanoes spew out so much, like, I believe it was the last three or the last four volcanic eruptions mm-hmm. have caused more, put more carbon into the air than all of human history. There was a volcano that just recently erupted. <sighs> Did not know that. Yeah, it happened um a few weeks ago. But uh, if we're talking about human made, I would probably say early industrialization. So what China's going through, what we did back during the Industrial Revolution, and uh, England's Industrial Revolution. I would say those are probably the most damaging. Though I'm not a scientist, so I don't quote me on that one. I may I may be wrong, but that's what I would think because early industrialization was very unclean, dirty burning. Dirty burning is when you uh, burn something, burn a flame, and it's just spewing out mm-hmm. uh, carbon. But, back on topic, if we go to R404, which is the most common one I've worked on. Mauna Loa. erupted. Okay. But R404, which is the most common one I work on, um, is 3,920 times more dangerous to the environment than carbon. Mm-hmm. Uh the biggest downside to R290, flammable, and it being heavier than air, it can settle in your lungs or on the ground waiting to find a spark. Uh-oh. So, That's terrifying. Yes. But again, it's a very small amount, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But if you're not careful, that can be a deadly situation. There was an incident, believe, earlier this year, maybe earlier last year, but um, where a guy was working, I believe it was at this airport in Charleston. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were uh, working on a unit, had four compressors on it, four circuits and they cut into the wrong one and it blew up. Um, I don't know if that was at this one, this airport or another airport, but I do remember reading about it and my boss did, talking about it, but uh, that it can be dangerous if you're not careful. Um, with that, uh, that is pretty much up to the modern era when it comes to refrigeration. Uh Wait, I saw my question. Oh yeah, what's your question? Was that person that was consuming the air, the stuff? Did he eventually die from doing that, or did he die from something else? If I remember correctly, because I thought I wrote it down, but apparently I didn't. He did have some complications to, in his health that came up later that he did hide from the public until his death, mm-hmm. and it was released. Um, but I don't remember what. I might look it up and bring it up. Bring it up in the next episode. Uh, If I can, if she can remind me, you gotta remind me, but uh, that is it for this episode. If y'all do have any questions or uh, if I said anything that was wrong, please let us know. You can email us or uh, message us on the Instagram. We're going to put the, both of those in the description of this episode. Uh, I forgot to do it in the last episode. I think I can update it. I'm going to try to. Might also make a Facebook. Maybe if we get enough people. Yeah, we'll see. We know some people don't have Instagram. I don't. Yeah, but, you literally made an Instagram for this. Yeah, but it's not mine. I know. I have a, face- I have a Facebook marks. and that's it. <laughs> but uh, that's it, and uh, y'all have a nice day. Bye, friends.